I just want to start with a question. Any of you have any challenges this week? <laughs> now, why is there laughter? <laughs> Let me see the hands again. Anyone have any challenges this week? That is probably three quarters of our congregation. In one week, we, we chuckle at a question like, are there any challenges? Because we know, we know that there's challenges every day, every week. Yesterday, our, our Wildwood campers had a little bit of a challenge. As, as you've, un- <laughs> I heard the laughter again and the chuckling again. As you've un- undoubtedly heard, they, they had trouble getting back, some car issues, and, um, ended up, one group got back, I think, around 10 last night, somewhere around that. Um, later, later than 10. Another group, it was more like one. And, um, but they're back, and they're back safe, but some challenges. And so, if they look at their day yesterday, I would bet the students had a lot of fun and a lot of memories. But for the leaders, it was like, oh no, who do we leave behind? No, parents, we wouldn't do that. Um, <laughs> how do we get everyone back safely? And God worked it out. In light of that, though, just, I know that they're, they're going to be sharing next week, but would two of the people, two of the students that went to Wildwood, can you just write where you're at in a sentence or two, tell us something that you learned about God this week? Any volunteers? Any that are still awake? <laughs> I will be throwing things at you if you fall asleep. No. <laughs> yeah. Amen. Amen. What a lesson. Trusting God. I'm convinced that the, the, the longer that I live and, and walk with God, the less I know about what it means to trust God. And, and the more He puts in my path to say, okay, you've learned that lesson. Let, let's go a little deeper. Let's learn a little bit more. It's like, no, no, I'm done with that. But as I watch and as I talk with people and even ask the question, how many face challenges this week and so many hands go up and, and so many knowing chuckles happen, I'm reminded that things are happening all over our congregation. That God is, is using hardships and using trials and using difficulties to refine us like silver and like gold. Even this morning, in, in the course of like four minutes, I had three different people that couldn't come this morning, or things were happening, or sickness, and I'm like, okay, what is going on? Will anyone be here? So thank you for for coming. (laughs) This morning, though, we want to look at the disciples, and the disciples were in in a similar situation. We've been studying through Mark, and and as we've gone through Mark, and especially the first half of Mark, where where the, the evangelist is telling us about the life of Christ and describing Jesus and His ministry. And then the second half is going to be all about Passion Week and all about the cross and the resurrection. But in this first half, He's dealing with discipleship as one of the major themes. And He's teaching His disciples how to be disciples. They, they, don't, they don't have the New Testament. They've never followed Jesus before. And we saw in Mark chapter 4 and 5, Jesus answering the question, Who am I? And showing his authority, showing his power. And in the last few weeks, we've, we've looked at mission. And mission being to, to preach the gospel and to touch lives. Not necessarily, sometimes we think mission, oh, that's, that's all the stuff the church does. No, no, this is so much bigger than that. It's all the stuff Jesus wants to do through you. That's mission. And last week, we looked at mission, and the last two weeks, mission is a priority, and, and, we, we saw the disciples and, and understand these are real events that actually happened that Jesus is using to train and to teach. 
And he sent the disciples off on a, a mission trip. We're not quite sure how long, but two by two. And, and they get back. And last week we looked at what happened when they get back. And they're excited and they're talking and they're telling Jesus what happens. And he says, we need to get away and rest. And in the process of getting away and resting, their rest was cut short by crowds that were in need. And it says that Jesus looked at the crowd and had compassion on them. And we saw the balance between rest and compassion, that compassion informs the rest, and both are for a higher purpose. And we saw the feeding of the 5,000, which really was both about, about mission, but also about who Jesus was, because He was showing Himself to be the great shepherd that the Old Testament referred to. The one, the, the coming of Moses again that would bring manna in the wilderness again. And he broke bread and gave bread on the green grass. That's why Mark mentions the green grass. Because it's the imagery of God Almighty as a shepherd that cares and provided. And through that, the disciples are still exhausted. They haven't had a chance to rest. And they say, Jesus, you need to do something about their hunger. And Jesus says, no, no, you do it. But we're tired. And, and Jesus, through a miracle, enables the disciples to minister. And that's where we pick up our story. Same day. In fact, we're going to see the very first word in our text. If you turn to Mark chapter 6, verse 45. Mark chapter 6, verse 45. Very first word. Do you see what it is? Immediately. Remember Mark? It's all about, and they did this, and they did this. It's all about immediately. And this is immediately. This happens as he's finishing feeding the 5,000. I'd like to read the first three verses. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. Now understand what is happening here. The, the 5,000 men and their families have now been fed. They, they've seen a miracle. And it says that Jesus immediately sends the disciples off. Hey, you guys... Go get in the boat. And, and the word there is actually he made them. There's, and it has a sense of urgency. He's forcing them a little bit. It's sort of like herding little children out the door. And, and, and you're, you're pushing and prodding and getting them out. And, and that's what he's doing with his disciples is he makes them go. Now Mark doesn't exactly tell us why. We just, because Mark's, Mark's purpose here is to get to the story on the sea again. But in John, we see a little bit of why. And, and if you just hold your thumb in Mark chapter 6 and turn over to John chapter 6, just a couple books to your right. John chapter 6, verse 14 and 15. John's telling the same story. Remember, the feeding of the 5,000 was the only miracle that's in all four of the Gospels. It's that important. And in John chapter 6, verse 14 and 15, we see a little bit more of the details that Mark doesn't give us. When the people saw the sign, the people being the 5,000, when they saw the sign that He had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take Him by force to make Him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by Himself. 
And so what's happening here is after this, this feeding of the 5,000 and Jesus says they're, they're sheep without a shepherd, the people understood the imagery because they were expecting the Messiah to come back and to provide bread in the wilderness. That was part of the messianic expectation. And so the people see this and they're like, He's here! He's here! You know, He doesn't seem to be doing much, so let's just go grab Him and let's take Him and make Him king! And that wasn't Jesus' timing. And that wasn't His way And it wasn't his purpose. And so we see a sense of urgency in Mark immediately, and he made them because he's ending this. It's not his time to be made king. And so he sends the disciples off. He dismisses the crowd. He goes up to the mountain to pray. And Mark is setting up what he wants to teach us out of the the story of walking on the water. He's setting up that Jesus makes the disciples go, and he makes them go alone while he is alone on the mountainside. And we see one of the few times where they're divided and he intentionally sends them off before it was about the mission strip. But in this case, just go back to the other side. And point number one there, if we look at the point out of the text, Jesus directed the disciples to go alone, knowing what was coming. Jesus directed the disciples to go alone, knowing what was coming. He knew that a storm would be coming. And not just because storms happen to come up very quickly on the Sea of Galilee. He, he's omniscient. And he knew what was about to happen. And he sends the disciples. Just as a side note, I think it's, it's important to understand what Jesus did. Mark describes that after he had taken leave of them, the crowds, he went up to the mountain to pray. And there's three times in, in the Gospel of Mark that we, we record Jesus going off by himself to pray. And Mark has themes, and he's always very intentional about what he's writing. And the three times, one we saw in chapter 1, I believe it was, where the crowds were, were coming together and crowds were swelling. And in chapter 1, verse 35, it's after a busy Sabbath, and, and the popularity was, was about to come upon him. And it said Jesus got off away and prayed. That was where Peter came and sort of chided him. What are you doing? People are looking for you. But it was a defining moment. In this case, the people are wanting to make him Messiah. And he goes off to pray. The third case we'll see in in a couple of months was at Gethsemane, right before the cross. And Jesus goes off and prays, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. And in all three cases, it was a defining moment that could have derailed his mission that could have derailed the path to the cross and in each case in the face of that temptation jesus gets off and gets with his father and he prays what a wonderful picture of going off and trusting god and seeking god and coming to him george adam smith an ot scholar I love this story, and it's just an illustration that, that sticks in my head. He was climbing a mountain in Switzerland, um, and, and they were almost to the top. He was with his guide. It was a stormy day, and he finally gets to the top. And, and as he as he peaks, he's like, yes! And he stands up in, in victory. And the stormy gale just about blows him off the, the top of the mountain. And his guide grabs him down and pulls him down and says, on your knees... On your knees. You can only survive here on your knees. And I think about that, and not that he was praying, 
but it makes me remember that in the most difficult times and in the most successful times, it's time to go on my knees as our Lord and Savior did. And so Jesus is praying. Praying about His mission. I think praying about the disciples as we're going to see in, in the next, um, next few verses. Praying for them as He even now is in heaven interceding for us. Praying for us. Romans 8.34, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. What is Jesus doing now? He is interceding for you. He is interceding for me. And that is the God who chose sandals. And so we see Mark here setting up the story. Jesus sends the disciples off. He makes them go. And they obey. And what happens? He takes leave. He goes up to the mountain to pray. And in verse 47, And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone in the land. Again, Mark, like a good storyteller, he's reinforcing the point he wants us to get. By the way, in case you missed it, they're out there alone. Jesus is up here alone. And that's key to understanding this, this, this story and this text and what Jesus was trying to accomplish. Verse 48. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. He saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And so picture what has happened. They're on the Sea of Galilee. They're going, trying to go to the northeast side of the Sea of Galilee. And and they're rowing, and it looks as if they have a strong headwind, as sometimes the wind would come from the northeast where they were going. And, and so they've dropped the sails, and they're rowing as hard as they can. Now, now they've left. Now it says evening came. And in fact, if you go on in verse 48, it says it was about the fourth watch of the night. Somewhere between 3 and 6 a.m. Probably on the early side of that, from, from the wording. And so they have been out there rowing for 8 to 10 hours. And they are no closer to their destination. In fact, the idea is that the wind has pushed them back out a little bit more towards the middle of the sea. And they are just strenuously rowing. In this case, we, we, we saw the storm at sea with Jesus in the boat before. And their lives were threatened. In this case, it's not so much that their lives are threatened, but their spirits are threatened. Because they have been rowing endlessly and have made no progress. I know a lot of you like to hike. And have you ever hiked on shale? It's really annoying, isn't it? <laughs> Not only does it all get in your feet, in your shoes, but what happens when you hike on shale? You slip. You, you take a step up, if I go up, and the whole ground gives way, and you look at the bush next to you, and instead of you being higher, it's higher than when you took the step. And it's annoying, and it's frustrating, and you feel like you take steps for, for hours, and you've gotten nowhere. And it wears you out, doesn't it? And not only does the, the loose footing wear you out, but the whole, the whole concept of, I, I don't feel like I'm making any progress. I can remember hiking, and I, I've told some of you about a a mountain that Susie and John and I were hiking one time that was like that. And in the middle, we're like, you know, we just want to quit. Really, what's the point? What's the point? We've gotten our exercise already. We're not going to make it. That 
is how the disciples must have been feeling. They're already tired. Their rest was already interrupted by the crowds that same day. And now they're on on the sea. Understand something. They are in trouble and they are in this situation because they obeyed Jesus. Does that sort of shake you a little bit? Because they obeyed Jesus, He said, go, row, or, or sail, and the storm comes up, and I, we don't have recorded what they were thinking at this point. We have it a little later, and we know that their minds are, are messing with them. But they're in this place because they obeyed Jesus. And, and that's challenging for me because so many times, especially with some of the health and wealth teaching and, and some of the teachings about blessings that we see, we think that if we obey, everything's good. Everything's perfect. I have a nice, wonderful life. And the Bible doesn't promise that. The Bible promises you will be persecuted if you follow me. The world will hate you if you follow me. Now that doesn't mean that God can't bless materially. That's up to Him, and and at times He does. But it's not about the material. It's about the spiritual blessings. It's about eternity with Him. And so they're in trouble because they obeyed Jesus. And under application there, the lesson that comes out of this first, these first few verses is obedience may bring hardship. God knows and He intends to use it. Obedience may bring hardship. It may bring, may bring difficulties. God knows that and He intends to use it. He sent the disciples because He had a plan. He had a purpose. He wants to do something in their lives that cannot be done any other way. And who are we to question that? Our job? Obey. Obey. God's job to teach, to care, to protect. And so these disciples in the spiritual highs are now having that high balanced with burdens and battles. But God is doing something. I challenge you when you face the times that you're rowing as hard as you can and you feel like you're not getting anywhere, whether that be in ministry and you're like, I don't see us reaching anyone. I don't see any progress. There's conflict. Maybe that means just trials at home. Maybe that means trying to get back from Hume. And you're just tired. I challenge you to remember obedience. Obedience. And that God wants to use that. See, it's not about what I want. It's about what God is doing. And so it's not a time to get angry at God and say, God, you blew it this time. I I don't know what this is about. You've let me down. No, He hasn't. He's doing something. Jesus directed the disciples to go alone, knowing what was coming. Our application is that obedience may bring hardship, but God knows and intends to use it. Let's read on. Verse 48. We read the first half of this, but let's read the whole verse. And he, being Jesus, saw that they were making headway painfully. Lots of discussion. Well, did he actually see them? Were they actually blown to shore? It wasn't really a problem. Maybe there was a full moon. 
why are we so afraid to say that God miraculously can see and can care who, where we're at? And I appreciated the men that wrote that were, that said, you know, this can be just as much a part of the miracle as walking on water. Although some were trying to discount that away to say, well, you know, it's just a shallow part of the lake. Ridiculous. God is a God who knows and who loves and does miracles. And so in verse 48, he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. He meant to pass them by. (laughs) We'll talk about that phrase. But point number two, when we look at the disciples, the disciples were never beyond the care of Christ. They were never beyond the care of Christ. And this was part of the lesson that Jesus was teaching them by sending them alone and He's up here because up till this point, the difficulties they've encountered, He's been right there. Now they struggled to have faith even with Him right there. And we, and we learned that lesson. So now Jesus says, let's learn the next lesson about trust. I've taught you about trusting when I'm there. Now, can you trust me when I'm not there? Do you know who I am? Do you believe I'm the shepherd that cares and has power? But a couple of words to catch out of verse 48. I would underline, He saw and He came. He saw and He came. And it's such a great story that we miss those key words, He saw and He came. They were in the middle of the, of the struggle, of the storm, and they were never outside of His care. Now keep in mind, Jesus just as easily from the mountainside while He's praying could have said, oh, by the way, wind stop, and continued praying. And He didn't just rescue them because that wasn't the point. The point was what He wanted to teach them through this. And so here again, just like the last story, we see Jesus off alone to rest and to pray, to commune with the Father, and we see it interrupted by the needs that He's trying to deal with and, and trying to help with. But last time, the disciples were irritated because they had to be part of it. This time, the disciples are thankful because it's their lives He's rescuing. And He's teaching them something about compassion again. He came to them. He cared deeply for His disciples. I'm reminded of a couple verses. Romans 8, 38 and 39. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing will separate us from His love and care. And He's dealing with His children here. He's dealing with those that are His adopted sons and daughters that have repented and have faith in Him. And He says, nothing will change that. I care for you. I am watching out for you. A couple of things to notice. This may not have been the way that the disciples wanted Him to care. You thought about that? I think they would have rather just the rescue. Wind stop. They'd be fine. But a couple of things I noticed is this wasn't in their timing. 
I would imagine if they had thought about it, some grumbling of, you could have come a little bit earlier. Eight hours earlier would have been really nice. Why did Jesus wait? Why does he wait in our lives? Why doesn't he just wipe away every hardship and wipe away every trouble and say, there you go, have a perfect life? Because it teaches us nothing. And it reveals very little about who he is. Jesus is intentional about what he wants to reveal about God Almighty. And he's intentional about how he does that to best to do that. God showed up, but not in their timing. Not right away, because he had a bigger plan and a bigger purpose. But not only not in their timing, but not in their way. That that last phrase, he meant to pass them by. Lots has been written about that. But but what I think about is, I mean, just picture it. You're in the boat. You're rowing as hard as you can. And, and we're going to find out that they didn't even recognize him. But Jesus, instead of coming to them, just, just is going to walk on by. Hey, how you doing? Rowing is so last year. <laughs> it's all about the walking now. But that, Jesus wasn't doing this to be funny with them. He wasn't doing this to, to mess with them. And some people have said, well, Jesus just has a sense of humor. Well, he does, but in this case, he's, he's intentionally teaching something. And if we understand the imagery of passing them by, do you remember any times in the Old Testament where that, that phrase was used with God revealing himself? Anyone? You can answer back. Okay, you answered. <laughs> All at once. I have no idea what you said. Elijah is one of them. Remember Elijah and they, they go to the mountain and, and in 1 Kings chapter 19.11, go ahead and turn there. Flip, flip back to 1 Kings. Old Testament. First Kings chapter 19, verse 11. And he said, he being God, he said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord and behold, the Lord passed by. Same phrase. Same phrase. Does that mean that the Lord was trying to sort of trick Elijah? No, he was trying to reveal himself to Elijah. He passed by. He showed himself. He taught. I don't know whether any of you mentioned it another time as Moses. Did someone mention Moses? Moses says, Lord, I want to see your glory. And God puts him in a cleft of the rock and hides him and he passes by in Exodus 33, verse 19. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you the name the Lord. In verse 22, And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. He ends up, he sees the, the tail end of God's glory. It ends up just radiating and glowing and had to have a bag over his head because people couldn't handle it. But, but the, the imagery of passing by often had this idea of God's revelation, of God revealing something. And so this wasn't Jesus being mean. This was Jesus opening eyes and saying, I am God. See me. 
we would call this a theophany. Have you heard the word epiphany? Epiphany, what does that mean? It's like, ah, oh, a new revelation! Woohoo! That, right? The sort of epiphany. A theophany is when it's that, but about God. And God says, this is who I am in a whole new way. If the disciples never struggled, if they never fought the wind, if they never went through this, they would have never seen God in a new way. May we not forget that when we struggle. When we feel like life isn't fair, when we don't see a way out, when we think that God has abandoned us, God hasn't abandoned us. He's trying to show and reveal Himself. Not in their timing, not in their way. And so we see that the disciples were never beyond the care of Christ. If we were to take applications from the, an application from that, there are times that we feel God is distant. He isn't. He isn't. And this is where, where head and truth and knowledge of who God is has to overcome feelings. Because we may feel God is dif- distant because of everything we're going through, but He isn't. The disciples didn't see Him. The disciples felt alone. Were they alone? No. God saw and God came. When you feel like you can't see the hand of God, stand firm in the knowledge that His care in His timing, in His way, is coming. If you have to repeat that, if you have to take these verses and memorize them and put them on your mirror and put them on your, da- their, your dashboard because you're fighting anxiety and fighting depression, do it. Go back to truth. Go back to His Word. We move on in the story. Verse 49. As we begin to see the result, what happened. So Christ is coming along. He's walking along. He means to pass them by because He wants to reveal Himself. He wants to teach something. He wants them to see who He is. And the next point, sort of a sad point, the disciples' first thought was that they feared, not that Jesus had come. The disciples' first thought, their reaction was fear, not joy. Verse 49, But when they saw Him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw Him and were terrified. The idea of ghost there is like a water spirit, a water apparition. And and they cried out, literally they screamed. And and think about this, when when you and I are in situations and and, and God's deliverance comes or God's hand comes, how we are viewing the situation often affects how we view the deliverance. If we, if we are in, in just a, a dark night of the soul, if we are in a, a desperate state where we think God has forgotten us and, and we're not seeing His hand, it's very difficult then to see it because our fear takes over. And when God does work, we, we, we write it off to something else. And that's what was happening with the disciples. They're rowing, they're tired, they're exhausted, and they see this person walking along, and to a man, not one of them said, I bet that's Jesus because He cares. 
to a man, they, they, they screamed like little children. And they were afraid. And they said, this is a demon. It's a ghost. They didn't recognize Jesus. Remember, Mark is writing from the perspective of Peter. And I can just picture Peter relating the story. And, and, and Peter saying, we missed it, Mark. We missed it. Now, in, in Mark, we don't see Peter getting out of the boat and walking on the water to meet Jesus and probably out of humility and, and just being overwhelmed that they missed it. But the lesson they had to learn was a very, very difficult one. Why didn't they recognize him? Two thoughts. This is a little bit of conjecture. I don't think they recognized him because they were not expecting to see him. They weren't expecting for him to show up. If they were expecting him, their first thought would have been, that's Jesus. But instead, in the middle of the difficulty, their expectation was, it's just going to get worse. Not that Jesus is doing something. I think they doubted his care on one side, and I think they doubted his ability. Or they didn't understand his ability yet. And so if, if, if you doubt his care, why would he even come? If you doubt his ability, how could he be walking on the water? wasn't even on their radar that this is something Jesus would do. But praise God, he did. And praise God, he came. Second reason I think they didn't recognize him is true of us today. Our difficulties often overwhelm our vision. Our difficulties often overwhelm our vision. Any of you wear glasses? Don't you just love it when like water sprays across your glasses? What do you see at that point? Red, because you're angry. Water. <laughs> and you, you lose sight of everything beyond that, don't you? Because your, your vision focuses in on the water and it's wet and, and it's right there. And, and the same is true when we are going through difficult times. When we're rowing as hard as we can, that, that is our entire vision. It's our field of vision. And we miss that God might be doing something bigger than this. He is doing something bigger than this. And we struggle to see beyond our circumstances. We're challenged with a question at the disciples' response. Do we respond with terror or do we respond with peace? When we are facing times where we are discouraged do we respond by giving up? Or do we respond by seeing God's hand in the middle of difficulty? In our horrible times, we're in the very presence of God. He reveals His glory to us. Don't be too blind or petrified to see Him. Because He is working. He never stops. By application, expect Jesus to show up and look for Him. Expect Jesus to show up and look for Him. 
great family exercise for those of you with, with families and kids at home is to make this part of your routine. When anything happens, to ask the question of your, of your kids, so, so what do you think God's doing? How, how have you seen God still caring for us? How do you see God working? And what you're doing is changing perspective. You're, you're, you're wiping the water off the glasses and say, I'm still going to look at Christ. I'm st- even if I don't understand what He's doing, even if I can't see it, I'm going to look for it. Teach that to your children. Teach that to your spouse. Encourage each other. How is God working? I have little boys, and so it can be a treasure hunt. You know, we, they're hunters. Although Susie is the finder of all things in our house. But hunt for the work of God. Because it's there. It's there. We go to the second half of verse 50. 50b. We get to the last point. Jesus opened their eyes to see Him and it encouraged their hearts. Jesus opened their eyes to see Him and it encouraged their hearts. Starting in verse 50. But immediately He spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Did you catch those three things? Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And He got into the boat with them and the wind ceased and they were utterly astounded. For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. We'll get to that last phrase. But Jesus' answer, as they're afraid, they think it's a ghost, He turns and He speaks. And He says three things. Take heart. Literally to be firm or resolute in the face of adverse circumstances. To be courageous. To be enheartened. I like that one. I don't use that word very often. Enheartened. And so the first thing he says is be courageous, be enheartened. Lift your spirits. And then the middle point is the point of the whole story. It is I. And there's an emphasis of, on I. And whenever they would hear it is I or that phrase, it would remind them of the Old Testament. I am that I am. And at this point, Jesus is saying, I'm not only Jesus, but I am God. I am God Almighty. I am the one that made the waves. I am the one that made the sea. Nothing happens without my knowledge. It is I. And that's been a journey for the disciples. And and He's taught them through, through other situations who He is, and it's been getting more and more and more and here he reveals himself sort of the final straw, although they, we find out later they still struggle with it. The final nail that says, I am God. See, Jesus is forcing a decision. He's forcing a response. Either you believe I am God or you don't. The same decision we have to make. Either we believe that this is God who chose sandals, that this is God Almighty in human form who came and died for our rebellious sins, and paid the price, or we don't. And again, there's so much more imagery than than we understand reading the story. Throughout the Old Testament in several places, there's reference to the God that treads on waves. That only God can tread on waves. In Job... 9, verses 8-11. through 11, Who alone stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the sea? 
Who made the bear and Orion and Pleiades and, and, champ, and the chambers of the south? Who does great things beyond searching out and marvelous things beyond number? Behold, he passes by me. Isn't that interesting? Same phrase. And I see him not. He moves on, but I do not perceive him. And they would have been familiar with Job. And they would have been familiar with that God Almighty can trample the waves, but He's easy to miss. Psalm 77, Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. He's tying in the shepherding from the last story. And this is a clear statement, I am that I am. I am God. And Jesus reveals the power and authority normally associated with God. And he says, it is me. In Matthew chapter 14, the same story, we see an interesting phrase. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Truly, you are the Son of God. See, they didn't miss it. In our culture, we're like, oh yeah, he walked on water. And yes, that's the power of God. For them, it was a clear statement, a label saying, I am God. And they caught it. See, when we think through the situations we're in, and and Jesus' answer is just as applicable to us, take heart, it is I. And if you're struggling today with situations that just are weighing you down, take heart, it is Jesus. He has not left you He is doing a work. And so many times it's not about the why, it's about the who. It's not about why is this happening. We may never understand it. It's about who, that this is Jesus, God of the universe, and I trust Him. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. And that third phrase, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Do not be apprehensive. Do not be frozen. Move on. Move forward. Because we see Jesus for who He is. Sometimes it's really hard to see Jesus in the middle of the storm. Usually, it's really hard to see Jesus in the middle of the storm. And isn't it true that we see... Hindsight is twenty twenty. We see a lot more retrospectively. The, the, the disciples on the road to Emmaus. They're walking. What do they see? Some man walking with them. Hindsight? This was Jesus. And, and the same is true for us. And, and you know, I encourage us to start there. That's a great way to start seeing the hand of God is to look back and see the hand of God. Start retrospectively. Start looking back and say, okay, what has God done? And then we begin to see what God will do and what He is doing. We read on verse 51. And He got into the boat with them and the wind ceased. One of the other Gospels says and they immediately made it to their destination. That would have been really cool. First ski boat on the Sea of Galilee. It's just boom, it's there. He gets in, wind ceases, and they were utterly astounded. And this is the part again that the disciples are writing 
because they missed it and they don't want us to miss it. For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Remember, this is the same day as what happened with the feeding of the 5,000. And they, they understood now in hindsight that if they had understood that Jesus was the great shepherd, if they understood his care and his power when he fed the multitudes, they wouldn't have been frightened on the sea. They wouldn't have been looking for a spirit instead of Jesus. The two are tied together. Just as is every time Jesus comes and says, I want to reveal myself to you. And our challenge is what is God doing in our lives and are we looking for it? Are we willing to see it? Because their, their blindness to the loaves led to fear and led to trouble and blindness in other areas. And so let's just today start looking for what God is doing. Start looking for the caring, omnipotent shepherd and trusting in Him. See, they were blind to the presence of God and His care for men, His compassion, and His power. But the beautiful thing is, Jesus knew they they didn't get it. And instead of writing them off, He said, let's try again. Go out on the boat alone. Let's try again. Let me show you who I am. Just in conclusion, reading the rest of the verses. 53 on. Because there's a comparison here. A little bit of tongue-in-cheek comparison. When they had crossed over, they came to land at at Gennesaret, not where they were going originally. The wind had taken them so far off course that they ended up course, so they ended up going to another area. And they moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, here we go again. The people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came in villages, city, countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that he, that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. And like we talked about with the the woman with the issue of blood, it's not a magic garment. But God in His sovereignty is honoring their faith. And God is healing them. God is choosing to do that. But the comparison here is between disciples that, that failed to recognize Jesus and the crowds that recognized Him. And it's not saying the crowds were farther along because they had a, a much different faith and a much, uh, a, a much smaller faith and, and Jesus was going deeper with the disciples. But the comparison is still clear about recognition and not recognition. The disciples didn't see Jesus and what he could do. The crowd said, he can do anything. He can do anything. Let's get my friends. Let's get my neighbors. Hey, let's get people I don't know. And let's go see the man who can do anything. And in this case, that wasn't a saving recognition for them. But it was a a challenge to see a God that can do anything. Even when you've been rowing all night and you think there's no hope. Augustine says this, quote to end, He came treading the waves, and so he puts the swelling tumults of life under his feet.
Christians, why afraid? Why afraid? As we study this, I pray that it's about trusting in the God we recognize. The same God that came to the disciples will still walk on water to reach you. And he is, and he's still working. Lord Jesus, we trust you. Even if we can't see you, even if we think we're alone, we trust you because you are God and we are not. And you are almighty and you are the I am. And Lord, we want you to work in our lives even if it means putting hands to the oars. And we want you to reveal yourself to us even if it's through hardship. Draw us as your family close to you. Teach us. May your will be done. In Jesus' name, amen.